Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. This week, it comes from my colleague down in Sheffield, Nathan Heminham. Nathan, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, well, good, thank you. Uh, how are you? Well, I was all right. I took the. Uh, I was meant to be in the office, but I, I was working from home because I was meant to get my chimney swept. It's a very adult thing to be doing ahead of the <laughs> cold winter, and he's just cancelled on us. So I'm fuming now. I'm fuming. But we're going to talk about there? football. What's are that? Not, are you not going up there? Oh God, no! No, I'll get stuck if I go up there. I thought <laughs> I'd pay a professional to come along, organise my day around it, and he's just cancelled on us. So I'm not very happy, but hopefully our chat over the next 20 minutes, half an hour or so, uh, will bring me some pleasure. I'll do my best. How are things down in Sheffield? How is it down at Bramall Lane? It doesn't, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look all rosy. It, it doesn't from the outside, but but uh, that's sort of, sort of from the outside, you know. Uh, United are actually not a million miles away. Uh, the, 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 the winless after five. Uh, they've got just got that point against Everton, but they were a defensive, really bad defensive mistake away from a point against Man City. They were a world class Jordan Pickford save away from three points against Everton, and then I'm sure you'd have seen <laughs> Tottenham's late late show last week. You know, 97 minutes they're winning one nil. Five minutes later they've lost two one, and that's a game that last season. You know, under the times of last season, and they, they added on time stuff. They, they, they win that, uh, so they're coming away from Tottenham. Even you know, even even a point at gutting as a point would have been in the end. Yeah, everybody takes that. Uh, defeat was crushing, but what it does show is it, it shows that actually the last three games, in particular, United have been so. You know, if they've got um, if they've got five points on the board. From those last three games, no one's, no one's begrudging that from those performances. They've been really, really good. Uh, so yeah, from the outside, they look the new team into division promoted team, winless after five games. Welcome to the Premier League type narrative. But actually, um, if Newcastle do come with that attitude, they might get a, a bit of a shock because performance-wise, United have been playing very, very well. Well, that's it for the research for this episode. Obviously, I looked back on the results so far. I knew they'd lost the five, but I actually didn't realise that they hadn't been thumped. There's just me naively thinking oh, they must have lost by three or four goals at one stage of this season, but actually they haven't. And like you say, they've been very close and very close against some good sides as well. Um, 
let's concentrate on what happened against Spurs because it looked like they were going to get the first win over the line. Uh, how much will that end result hurt them, losing 2-1 in such a fashion? I think, I mean, and, and this is something that Paul said really, really well afterwards, that obviously everybody was gutted and they will be gutted walking away from there. But what went in, the, the Monday to Friday in terms of preparation for that, to get that result or to get that performance was still there when you take the result away. You know, uh, what they did in terms of for 97 minutes is still there regardless of the result. So I, I think what he was trying to say was, you know, that when when it all settles, there's enough to take in terms of positives from there because of the fact that, you know, when you look at it for 97 minutes, they've gone to the second best team in the division who just put five away at Burnley the previous uh, week and they had a clean sheet for 97 minutes. They defended very, very well. Uh, West Fodderingham was superb again, but... They had 20-something shots. So, again, you're looking at the stats, and I think Tottenham had 28 shots at goal. So, you're thinking, oh, it's one of them where United's, you know, held on for 97 minutes, not left their area, and Tottenham's just not had their shooting boots. And it's one of them. 15 of those 28 shots were from the edge of the area or outside. So, as much as Fodringham had a good game, there was no... It was no Levy Ashing performance, you know. It, 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 there was no major save he had to make. There were comfortable saves that you would expect him to make. He was busy, but this was the thing about, you know, when, when you pick the bones out of it in two or three days after the result, performance-wise, there was only one way they could set up to go and get that result. You know, you can't go to top them in any other way, that, the way they played at the minute than do what United did. And they executed it very, very well. They had some really good chances on the break that... You know, you, you you only get those chances, four or five of them away at the Tottenham. So you have to take them. Um, so, you know, they were good when they had to be. They defended very well. They got out when they when they had the opportunity to get out. Um, and you could tell that that was after, you know, that was all the work of a week's worth on the training ground. And I, I think, you know, the result aside, I think there was plenty for United to come away from that performance put that to the Everton performance, which came off the back of 1-1 for Man-, Man City going into the 90th minute when Defender has a chance to put it into Rose Ed and he gets tries to watch it out and he gets tackled and they cross it and score a winner. You add that to that, and I think there's a lot of people uh, you know, within that dressing room uh, and quite rightly the manager thinks that, you know what, we're not far off now. This this win is not, not far off from coming. And... Uh, Paul Hackenbottom's comments after the Spurs game, they've been talked about quite a lot about, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the added on time. Um, what have you made of them? And I mean, some might look at that as kind of a distraction tactic. You've you just lost the game to one in the dying moments. You, you shouldn't do from a winning position. And he's come out and said that. And a lot of top managers do it, don't they, where, where they'll say something which just takes away from actually maybe what the headline should have been. Uh, what has been your take on those comments and the reaction as well from from the, from pundits and, and uh, fans alike? It's a bit strange because if comments have been taken out of sort of context in the sense that it doesn't mention anything about the 12 minutes, I mean, any complaints with the 12 minutes. The question was actually about yellow cards. The referee had about 13 yellow cards, I think, Peter Banks. And some of them were ridiculous. 
And Paul has been talking about this now for 18 months. He was talking about this when they were top of the league and winning games. He wasn't actually talking about adding on time. His rant at the referee was about the actual standard of his performance the whole game, standard of refereeing in general, and how quickly referees are getting yellows out and um, the way that they're managing the flow of the game. Paul's actually wanting... The, the 12 minutes wasn't an issue. Paul wants more than 12 minutes. He wants the full 45s, you see. So he he's, want, he, he's calling for stop clocks and everything because... You know, he hates when teams slow the game down and kill the game. He hates it. So he what went so there was times where the goalkeeper Wes Fodringham was taking his time to get out and take the goal kick. He was screaming at Wes to be quicker because he didn't want he didn't want time wasting. What he was wanting was his keeper to recognise quickly the way out of the you know, Tottenham are pressing him high up. So the keeper's got to be quicker in getting out with the with the ball at his feet. He's got to be quicker in spotting where his wing backs are and his centre backs are or pulling apart. He's got to be quicker. So Paul's comments weren't actually about time wasting. They weren't about the time added on, and they weren't about being unhappy that the referee added twelve on it. His comments were just about the standard of refereeing being so poor, and the referee unable to. Um, so there was one instance, for example, that he was complaining about where so United are trying to play out from the back. They split the centre back. So Jack Robinson is one of the players who takes the ball from the keeper. He's just made this challenge in the corner flag. Ball's gone out for a goal kick. Multi-ball, so the ball comes out quickly. So Wes has got you he's got to wait for Robbo to come back into play to play it to him. The referee is running up to keeper and telling him to kick it long and United's argument is, no, we don't want to kick it long. We, we, we've, got, we've got a tactic here. We need to play this tactic. Can't just come to Tottenham and kick it long because you want us to. If you're unhappy with how long it's taken, it's had the time on. But the argument is you shouldn't be dictating how we play and, and un, you know understand the fact that our keeper is waiting for the wing-back to get back in position and all this sort of stuff. It was just, it was just about the standard in general. But because it's come off the back of a 12-minute added on time defeat, I think a lot of people have taken it as him moaning about the fact that it was 12 minutes. United contributed to those 12 minutes. Paul's not got a problem with that. Paul's often been advocating for more time. That, that wasn't an issue. It wasn't the time that was the issue. It was just the standard of refereeing. And I thought he explained it very, very well. And I think there's been a few cheap and lazy pundits that's jumped on that. But I think there's also been quite a lot of support generally from fans as well uh, about the fact that they agree that, you know, the standard of refereeing now is that bad that uh, he didn't come out with a rant or anything like that. I thought he spoke very well, and I th which is what Paul does. And I think he's he's got a fair amount of support for what he said. Our regular listeners know that I've got Big issues with the standard refereeing in the Premier League. Yeah, and big issues with their oh. standard of VAR. It's, it's it's absolutely ludicrous how they can get such big decisions wrong. But that could fill a whole uh, other podcast. Yeah. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Let's just get one thing out of the way straight away, and I'm, I guess you could answer this um, in, in one word. Reports that uh, the Sheffield United board are, are potentially looking at Chris Wilder coming in to replace Paul Heckerbottom. Anything in that? No, nah, there's nothing in that. I, I don't know where that came from. And it was just absolutely ludicrous and, and laughable story. Paul signed a six-year contract plus one two years ago when he was appointed. He was appointed as part of this big vision for the future. It was part of a plan. And that plan is working very, very well, but it doesn't hinge on Premier League survival. It, it just hinges on the club making good decisions and and, and being in a good place. And that's exactly where it is now. And it was really funny because nine days earlier, we'd done an interview with the CEO. The, the CEO does a you know, catch up with local journalists every now and then. So we had one in the international break with the CEO. And, and Stephen was asked then, like, you know, just for, you know, because we've, we've been here before when, when Chris was manager last time, he was getting asked about his job all the time when it wasn't an issue. So we just said, look, you know what's going to come this season if you know, results aren't going, how's Paul's position? And he, you know, categorically said, you know, not a problem, 100% support and it's not based on results and all this sort of stuff. That was in the international break. One game later, you get this story come out and it's off the back of a defeat to Tottenham in the 100th minute. You know, it, it was just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... I expect Chris to return, you know. I do expect Chris to return, and I do expect because he fell out with the owner, but they the, the patched things up, and they're on the they're on a good page now, the pair of them. And I do expect Chris to come back, but it's not anytime soon. Paul's part of a a big picture and a big plan, and that's working very well. It's interesting you say that it's not really based on on results, but some would listen to you say that and say, "Well, that is that a good thing?" Because if if your aim isn't to win games, and I'm like I, I'm paraphrasing. Of course, it's the aim is to win games, but you know, if if your future that's not what it's solely based upon, that does that leave you a bit rudderless? Well, in one it, sense, it, it is funny you should say that because when they announced when they sacked they sacked Slavisa Kanovic after 16 matches and appointed Paul, who was then under 23 coach, and. The appointment at the time didn't go down too well. It was nothing against Paul, but it was about the message that, you know, they just sacked Chris, who'd been, you know, the the the, the big, um, you know, the, the darling of the fan base, the, the, the Sheffield United fan who guided them to the Premier League. They'd just sacked him. They'd appointed Slav. They'd had a really poor handled, poorly handled summer transfer window. Uh Barring Morgan Gibbs, why it was they didn't do they didn't do the manager any favors. They then sacked him after sixteen matches and then appointed the under twenty three coach. So the fans were up in arms. Nothing against Paul, but more about the message of what's going on. And then they came out at the press conference at this at Paul's unveiling with this. They called it a strategic vision, where they announced that the under twenty three coach is going to be the manager and he won't be judged on results. So as you can imagine, the fans were like, what the hell? How, how can you not be judged on results as a manager? But the message was that 
they're moving they don't have the money to uh you know the ownership is is they have a saudi owner but he's not uh in the same bracket as newcastle saudi owners for example um so he's a saudi prince that is he's using his own money and not his family's money so that's run out so the club now has to be self-funding and self-sustainable so the, the message has been that look we want to compete but we also we also want a well-run football club making good decisions that's bringing young players through that's developing them and uh you know and, and all that sort and that's been the blueprint and that's been the message so Paul getting re- Sheffield United getting relegated from the Premier League is not the end of the world because they don't have the money to go and splash at Premier League football right now. They've got to do it like a few clubs do when they get promoted. They have to do it in a different way. And that is to be sensible, to invest in the team, to invest in the football club, to invest in the infrastructure, to try and make forward strides, to develop players, to bring young players through, uh, to be self-funding. Uh, and and to try and almost yo-yo for a few years and then try and stick and try and keep banking that money and investing it. So while while results aren't the be-all and end-all, United do want to compete. But if it's not happening this season for them, and 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 you know, and 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 they don't get the wins and they don't go back and they go back down, that's not that's not the end for the manager because. Is part of the bigger picture. I, I think the manager would be more under pressure in the championship, not getting results, than being in the Premier League and not getting results. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, it's an interesting approach, very different to, to what most other teams yeah. uh, do. Let's talk about the transfer business that happened during the summer because their two best players exited. You had Sander Berge, who went to Burnley, and Ilman and Daya, who went to Marseille. How have the club moved on from that? Uh, they've done very well, actually. They've replaced them with two very, very good players. Um, so, again, it was, you know, a really, really difficult transfer window. Uh, the fans were up in arms when they sold them because they, they sold both of them within a week of each other on the eve of the start of the season. So they've sold their best two players. They've not brought in that many at that time. Uh, the budget was low because of the financial problems from last year, which is why, again, Paul's not under too much threat because this season was all about, you know, uh, cleaning the house and getting into a good position because they had a lot of financial problems last year. So Paul's budget reflected that and he didn't have that much money to spend. So the players that Paul was signing were young players for two years' time. And everyone was on board with that. And then they went and sold him Jay and Berg within a week of each other, a week before the start of the season. So as you can imagine, the fans had a meltdown. Now, it didn't send out a good message that we were here to compete, and that was the that was the issue. But both players were in the final year of the contract, and both players were content to see what happened in a year's time. For example, uh, they thought they'd gotten Jai, uh, and Jai had agreed to sign a new contract. Uh, but then just at the last minute, before we put pen to paper, he had a change of heart and wanted to go to Marseille because that's his French club. He's from, you know, he played for them as a 14-year-old before he moved away. And so he had his heart set on Marseille. So he was out of contract in 12 months. He didn't want to sign a new deal. Sander Berg was out of contract in 12 months, wanted to assess his options in the summer. From United's point of view as a business model, 
as a self-sustainable club and having had the financial problems they had last year, they can't, they're not in a position. I don't Newcastle might be able to let a Chris Wood, for example, leave on a free or somebody like that. Leave players who leave on a free who they've spent money on. United can't afford for players to leave on a free. They have to cash in on them because they are a self-funding club. So once it became clear that Bergen and Jai were not going to be signing new deals, they had to cash in on him to get some money from him. It didn't make good business sense to allow him to leave on a free when they'd got the value in them that they had. So they managed to get the best part of around about 30 to 35 million for those two players. They've brought in Gustavo Harmer from Coventry, who was one of the standout midfielders in the championship last season. He's come in to replace Burge and he's been outstanding. He's... Um, He's got two goals already. He got a fantastic goal in his debut. He scored the goal against Tottenham and he was involved in the two goals in the build-up for the goals against Everton. So he's made an immediate impact and he looks a really good player, but he's here on a four-year contract, uh, 26 years old. So that's good, sensible business. Uh, and Cameron Archer's come in. Uh, he's he, he's the bit of uh, the firepower up front that they've brought in to replace and Jai. Um, and again... Got off to a great start, scored on his debut. Uh, you can class him having two goals, but his, his shot came off the post and went in off Pickford, so it's gone down as an own goal. But we, we can argue that's two goals on his debut. Uh, so, you know, they've, they've actually, um, after a slow start to the season, as a result of the, that transfer window and how difficult it was, after a slow start, they, they're in a decent position now. Those new signings have kicked in well. The squad looks a lot stronger than it did on the opening day. Uh, and they've had two or three really, really good performances recently that suggest everybody's now starting to click a little bit. And would you pick one of those two as Sheffield United's danger man? If you were going to tell Eddie Howe to look out for one man in particular, I'm assuming it would be one of those. Yeah, those it would have to be. What I would normally tell him, I would have said, Ollie McBurney is, is the man. He's the, he's the leader of the line. He's superb up front. He, he he holds play up. He links play. He's a real handful for centre-halves. But also, he's a real threat in a good way in the United's defensive areas on set-pieces. So, he, you know, he, he's, he heads a lot and wins a lot aerially uh, on set-pieces in our own area. So, he's good at both ends of the pitch. And, um, you know, and he's, he's one that, uh, you know, is instrumental in, in, in United's forward play. However, he got sent off at Tottenham. He was one of the yellows that Paul was really, really unhappy about. So he's not playing. So in terms of who who can then deliver, who will be the difference, it will have to be Harmer. They'll need his creativity going forward. And it will have to be Archer because the other players coming in are likely to be younger players. So Archer and Harmer are going to be the two. that If United get anything on... Um, on Sunday, uh, it's likely to come through those two. James McAtee, he's made his debut, uh, his, well, his, his second debut because he was here on loan, but he made his first start at Tottenham. But was it was it was it was not involved in the game because of how much United were on the back foot. So he could be another one to watch out for, but we, we don't know how he's sort of going to be playing in the Premier League yet because we haven't seen enough of him uh, in the Premier League. He was outstanding in the Championship, but United had a lot of the ball then and they were dominating games, as you can imagine, the Championship. Now in the Premier League, on the back foot a lot more. So uh, I can't comment on McAtee 
how how important he's going to be. But with McBurney missing, they're going to have to look at those three for some sort of spark in terms of winning the game. Uh, talk to me then about how they'll approach the game. You've kind of mentioned there against Spurs, they were on the back foot a lot. Are you expecting a similar um, kind of a game on Sunday or being at home at Bromley Lane, does that change things a little bit? Perhaps? Yeah, I mean, they won't. It, it, I expect them to play how they played against sort of a combination of against Everton and Man City. Uh, the Crystal Palace game on the opening day was just a, a write-off because they had no players who they'd signed and everything like that. It was just they had to put a team out that they'll never put out again. So Man City, you, they had to be disciplined and compact and play on the break. Against Everton, uh, they were they were much more uh, you know comfortable on the ball and, and 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 a bit more adventurous. So. I think we'll have a combination about that. I think they're going to respect Newcastle very well for their threats and they're going to be very compact. They're going to be very disciplined. They're going to respect the fact that Newcastle have match winners who can win you a game in one attack. But at home, that's where United's points are going to come from. And I think there's a lot of confidence in this camp right now that they're not far away. So I expect them to really attack Newcastle. Not guns blazing, all-out attack. You know, they will... They will uh, give Newcastle the ball a lot and they will be compact and disciplined but they will, when the opportunity comes, they will get at Newcastle they'll pressure them, they'll, they'll close them down, they'll chase, they'll harry uh, they'll put them under, they'll try and get in behind with Cameron Archer uh, they'll try and get up the pitch, they'll try and pin them back into Newcastle's half but when they don't have the ball, there'll be everybody behind the ball, really, really well disciplined, tight defensive performance but yeah, they won't they won't sit back and try and nick a win. They'll, you know, they'll go for it. Um, and they will, on the occasions where they can get out and can get at you, they will certainly do that. And how will they deal with Newcastle's high press? Because it's something Newcastle do really well. They don't give the opposition a moment to breathe. Is that something Sheffield United will be able to handle on Sunday? It'll be interesting to see because um, they do play out from the back, United. Um, they, they can mix it up. They can go long, but they, they, they normally go along when they've got Ollie McBurney in the side, but he's not there. So um, it'd be interesting to see how they play against this because they played out from the back a lot last season. They're happy to take the ball. The wing backs, they're, they're, they play three at the back. So they have two wide centre backs who split and take the ball from the keeper. Uh, John Egan, the centre half, comfortable bringing the ball out. You know, they have a lot of, you know, United's play over the last few years has been built on bringing the ball out from the back. So they do like to play out, but they haven't been aggressively pressed yet. I think Tottenham was difficult because they were the home team. So at Bramall Lane, they haven't been aggressively pressed yet. And you can argue that at championship level, that's a different type of press to the level of quality you get in the Premier League. So this will be a real test for United if Newcastle are going to come out and really really try and try and do that this is where United's sort of step up in quality is going to show and how they can handle coming up against that type of threat and I guess though Paul Heckenborn will be looking at Newcastle playing in the Champions League just a few days ago that the, the travel to Milan and the, you yeah. know, obviously the travel back to Tyneside and they'll be looking to maybe capitalise on that hoping that Newcastle do feel a little bit more tired than they would usually do if they hadn't had a European game yeah I mean that's that's something I am <laughs> looking at. You know, I, 
I, I looked at that early on and I thought, hmm, I don't know without doing looking into it too much, but there seems to be this narrative around teams in the Premier League playing in the Champions League and then the result after that. And um, so I know, um, so I wonder if 4.30 on Sunday has given Newcastle a little bit more time, but I was hoping, really hoping that the excitement of Newcastle's first game in Champions League for however many years all the adrenaline that went into that and everything like that, the travel, the coming back. I was hoping that would sort of take a lot out of them mentally. Uh, and that this would actually be off the back of that really inspiring Tottenham performance and, and the Everton performance. This might actually be a good time to play Newcastle. They, they, I know they've lost three of their games, but they've, they've played top, top teams. They, they've not, set the world alight in their opening league game so far. Uh, I think it's only one win, isn't it, from the after the opening day, just that one win in four after the opening day. They were away in Milan, uh, a big game for them. Um, Sunday afternoon at Bramall Lane on TV. Sheffield United will really, really fancy it, put it that way. I'm not saying anything silly about, you know, we're going to catch you and all this sort of stuff, but I, I wonder if, you know, there's there's something for United to go at there, uh, given Newcastle's game away in Milan in midweek and their start to the season. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a lot of tired bodies as well. Newcastle really had to defend uh, magnificently against AC Milan. Lots of blocks. Nick Pope was man of the match, but it was backs against the wall for a large part of the of the game. So uh, there will be some aching bones, I imagine. But, you know, Eddie Howe will set his side up to, to, to win on Sunday. The mindset of the manager is that he wants to win every game and the players are super duper fit I mean we've had on the previous managers where you know, there definitely would be an impact um, but I think the impact would be much lessened anyhow because of the ways he set up his um, his team you know through pre-season and what have you but I am certainly interested to see uh, how the European adventures impact Newcastle but what Eddie Howe's done really well is he's he started to build a squad so you know you're looking at who might play for Newcastle on Sunday. I mean, Miguel Miron didn't feature against Brentford and he got on for what, probably the last 20 minutes against AC Milan. So he's been a starter for Newcastle for the most, well, for, yeah, for the, for the other Premier League games. So he's likely to start afresh um, on, on Sunday. Callum Wilson got 20 minutes or so again, so he'll probably start on Sunday. So you know, they've got options. Midfield's probably where they haven't got as many options as Eddie Howe would like, and it's not quite clicking as, as we'd all like um, it to up on Tyneside. So that's going to be the interesting one to watch. Does he change Bruno? Does he change Longstaff? The answer's most likely going to be no. Um, and it's just whether they've got the legs in them to to match Sheffield United's endeavour. If you, uh, Nathan, were again sitting across from Eddie Howe and you were giving all the secrets away, what would you say Sheffield United's biggest weakness is? Um... They don't have any weaknesses, Eddie, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, nothing to see, Eddie. Don't do any work on United, whatever you do. Uh, there's no need to do any work on him. Um, now, the, the the problem they've had so far this season is defending, um, which is funny because when they got promoted last time in 2019, they were built on clean sheets. They were built on, you know, I think Dean Henderson had one of the most clean sheets in the division. Only the top three, the two Manchester sides and Liverpool had a 
conceded fewer goals than United. They finished ninth. And it was all built from the back. But they scored very few goals, whereas this season, it's the flip, it's the reverse. They look very good going forward and they look to have threats and goals. But defensively, they've been very vulnerable now. A lot. I think it's four or five of the nine goals that they've conceded have come from right-wing crosses tapped in from six yards out. Um, there was a theme emerging where the first four goals conceded were all the same goals. Right-wing cross from, from United's left side, um, six yards out, finish. Um, Luke Thomas is coming on loan, left-wing back from Leicester, and he performed very, very well against Tottenham, and I'm expecting him to keep his place. Um, and, you know, they've got the goals that did undid United are against Tottenham. They defended so well for so long, and then they lost their man at a corner, and he had a free header for the equaliser, and, you know, and uh, then they gave the ball away, uh, and, and, and Tottenham punished them. Um, so, you know, again, um, the goals against Everton, they were crosses that were uh, not dealt with. So they've been vulnerable in that respect, but, if you, I looked at look, looked at some of the stats beforehand, and they've conceded the most crosses into the area, they've conceded the most shots at goal. Uh, they're not being as tight at the back as they have been previously, uh, and last season was built on twenty clean sheets as well. Uh, but it's also an example of the step up. So, as much as the goals that United have conceded, they're not going to be happy about a lot of them. It's also the fact that for large parts of those games, they have cleared a lot. They have won a lot of headers. They have done a lot of blocks. You know, against Tottenham, there was bodies on the line blocking everything. But the standard in this division means eventually one of those crosses is going to be bang on the money. And, you know, George Baldock against Man City was superb against Jack Grealish. But Grealish had one moment of space to stand the cross up. And he stood it up in Erling Haaland at that one moment of run on the header and he equalises. And it was again a cross and a close-range header that Grealish had had no joy against Bordock all game. But he worked that one opening where he finally got some space for a cross and they scored from it. Same against Nottingham Forest. They, uh, the, the cross for the uh, the opening goal was absolutely six, six inches higher, six inches lower. United clear it, but it was so bang on the money. And United have been punished for finding the quality out at this level. So defensively, they've been crosses, they've been close-range finishes, they've lost their men on corners, um, they've been disappointing goals to concede. They have defended well for large parts, but the goals they've conceded have been really, really, uh, you know, concerning in that respect. So if Eddie Howe's looking at that, he's looking at the fact that you know. United do have a vulnerability at the back. Well, it's interesting you mentioned there about the crosses coming from, um, you know, the right side of the opposition, the left side of uh, Sheffield United's uh, pitch. And my immediate thought was Newcastle United do, do, do not cross the ball down that wing. Uh, and I've just looked at the stats there. So Miguel Almiron, who typically plays on the right now, I think will be reinstated on the right. He's just got one cross into the box so far this season. Now, Kieran Trippier, the man that plays behind him, has 33 and he does like to put the ball in. But one of my big frustrations about him is that he's 
he doesn't do it as often as he should do. We know the quality trip he has got, and often he'll either pass backwards or try and pass cleverly with Miguel Almiron. And it's you know, at times you just saying, just get it into the box, and fingers crossed that um, he has started over the last couple of games. Um, I noticed in uh, the, the second to last home game Newcastle had, there was a few more, you know, whipping the ball into the box, which is what Newcastle United uh, need. Well, try, try and tell Eddie to try and get him to pass backwards again then on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll see if I can get through to him. But, I mean, when you've got Callum Wilson in the box or Alexander Isak, whoever it might be, you know, you want to make sure you are uh, taking the, making the most of that advantage of that weakness. Um, and how, do Newcastle play, how do Newcastle play then? Because um, this will be the first time we'll have sort of seen Newcastle. Yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a mix. I think, you know, some clubs that... Allow some clubs allow Newcastle the ball and say, Well, you know, you come on to us, they invite them on, and that's something Newcastle are still getting a little bit used to having to be the team that dominates. Um, because you know, over the years, they've not been that team, and that what they, they did in the early kind of uh time under, anyhow, was they were very good on the counter, they absorb and just smash through on the counter because you had the pace on the wings and you had the runners from midfield. Now, this season. The runners from midfield haven't really been there. Tanari did it on the first game of the season, but since then it's not really it's not really happened. Joe Willick's probably the man they're missing the most, and from my point of view, in terms of late runners into the box, um, and it is a bit of a mix. You know, if Newcastle have allowed to, if Sheffield United come on to Newcastle and Newcastle can defend and absorb and then hit them on the counter, they're going to be really dangerous at that. But their biggest advantage is most certainly the high press, and they're really good with that high press, just forcing the goalkeeper, forcing the defence into mistakes, and then being clinical in front of goal. And um, so Sheffield United, if they're going to pass it out from the back, they're going to have to be really on their A game because you know if you've got Miguel Almiron or Anthony Gordon running at you, closing you down, Callum Wilson, you know they're really good at it. You know they're they're really good, like you know predators after the prey. Um, and it's going to be really intriguing to see if they can get the better of uh, Sheffield United in that instance. I've mentioned a few players there, Nathan, and of course, you know, our listeners will know trying to guess what team anyhow is going to put out is, well, you've got more chance of winning the lottery. But is there a player that you're particularly looking forward to seeing in black and white, particularly maybe fearing uh, from a Newcastle point of view? Uh, not particularly. Not, not particularly fearing, but I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing Newcastle because I think um, they were everybody's uh, everybody outside the top four or five last season supported Newcastle, didn't they? They wanted everybody wanted something different in football, don't they? They want they want somebody to come in and just scare those top six because it's getting boring and um, and not just boring, but you know I think everyone's just fed up of seeing. Seeing the money at the top just staying there, and um, and I think everybody wanted wanted a change. So when when Newcastle got off to the start that they did, uh, I think they had a lot of support. So I, I was really really happy that they finished where they did, uh, and I was certainly um, cheering them on last season to to get in that top four and, uh, and 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 try and put a few noses out of joint. So I'm just looking forward to seeing them. Uh, just to see what I'm about, what what is uh, this mystery around Newcastle? How they've suddenly clicked under Hedy Howe and gone after years and years and years of being uh, the underachievers in the division, if you want, in terms of the club size. What's suddenly clicked about them, and 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 you know what's special about them? So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing them. 
uh, on Sunday. I hope, I hope that they've uh, <laughs> left <laughs> left a lot of coming with a lot of baggage from AC Milan, and we <laughs> and we see a really really poor Newcastle, and we all go away wondering how on earth are they were uh, in the Champions League just for this weekend. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I'm looking before, well, them. before I ask you for your score prediction, because um, I certainly hope you're, you're wrong on that, um, just a word on, on Bramall Lane. We were speaking off yeah. camera before we started, and I, I told you I was at university for uh, in Sheffield. My digs were just around the corner from Bramall Lane, so it's been quite a few uh, hungover Saturdays at uh, Bramall Lane taken in, in, in the football. I couldn't even tell you what league they were in. I think they were probably in the Premier League at one point, maybe. Um, but the atmosphere, it's, it's the proper old-fashioned grounds, um, and it was always a place I always liked to, to visit and watch a bit of football. How important is it for... Sheffield United's survival in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, that was key uh, under Wilder. Uh, they did get some points away from home under Wilder, but um, it, for teams like United who come up, you know, it'd be the same for Luton, same for Burnley and everybody else. Your home form is key. and It's a cliche, but it is because it's the Premier League. <coughs> United will play differently against Tottenham to how they played last Saturday because you don't go away from home to so many clubs in the Premier League, the way that they're set up and play the way you would do at Bramall Lane. So United's points, I think, are going to come at Bramall Lane. And uh, the fans, I thought, what, there's a the good thing about United fans is they're proper football fans. So last season, the Championship, the expectations were that United get out of the division, that they were one of the best teams in the division. So there were times where they were unhappy with uh, moments in games where United were dominating the game like they should do. But they understand that that's not going to be the case now during the Premier League. And they understand that there will be times where United will really be on the back foot for large periods. And they've been excellent. Uh, they've stayed with the team. Uh, they hardly they really attacked against Crystal Palace, but United fans understood the team selection and the style of play then and how they were going to win that game. Um, you know, um, so they, they were excellent against Man City. They were really got behind them, even though of the fact that, you know, Man City had all the ball for large parts. Um, so, again, I think they'll be right behind them on on, uh, on Sunday. It'll be a great atmosphere. Um, Sunday afternoon, be a really, really good atmosphere. Everybody will be up for it. Um, and they'll understand that, they'll understand when, when Newcastle have got the ball, how United are going to be. Um, and they'll, they'll really, really drive them on and it'll be a good, be a good atmosphere. I, I, it's that thing where I don't think it will bother Newcastle. It, it's people talk about atmospheres, don't they? And now, oh, you know, Bramall Lane is a tough place to go. It, it is a tough place to go, and it is a great atmosphere. I don't think Newcastle United playing in front of fifty thousand fans are going to find the atmosphere a problem at, at Bramall Lane. Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. other clubs who might take. I think Newcastle are still a very sort of down-to-earth football club that won't take this fix lightly. We've had so much joy against your Arsenals of this world in the Premier League coming to Bramall Lane on a night where they've completely misjudged that fixture. I don't think Newcastle are going to do that. They're not that type of club to do that. But we will catch quite a few teams, I think, at Bramall Lane this season because of that, because they weren't expecting uh, what they're going to get. So... Uh, yeah, it'll be a cracking atmosphere. Newcastle will sell out, won't they? Uh, and they'll make some noise. So, yeah, it'll be a full house. It'll be a sold-out stadium. It'll be absolutely cracking, I think. be a good game as well because 
I don't think United will allow Newcastle to have it all their own way either. I think it'll be end-to-end and a good good battle. Well, that leads us into the final question then, Nathan. What is <laughs> the last goal going to be? <laughs> I've obviously got a goal for a Sheffield United win because I think it. I think it's not far off. I honestly think it's not far. If we were getting battered every week and we were playing poorly, I wouldn't be silly and talking about United beating Newcastle. But United should have a good six, seven points on the board from their last few games easy. So United are not that far off. They're going to fancy this one as being the one. They're going to hope to catch Newcastle from the Champions League. But there's been one goal in every game so far. Uh, and I think I think the tide will turn and I think United will win 1-0, the original. Just to clarify, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go 2-1 Newcastle tonight. I think it'll be a tight game. I said on the match preview on the Everything is Black and White podcast that I think Newcastle will start slow um, because of, the, you know, just a little bit of tidiness maybe creeping in from uh, a couple of days in Milan, but I think as the game goes on, they'll they'll pick it up and they've got the leaders on the pitch like Kieran Trippier, uh, like Sven Botman, just to raise the standards if they do indeed drop early on. I think 2-1 to Newcastle. I do think it'll be a, a good game. As you said, the atmosphere is going to be absolutely fantastic. It's, it's summer arena, not quite the San Siro, but as uh, English mm-hmm. arenas go, it's, it's, it's up there with a, with a did fantastic you go? Did you go to the San Siro? I didn't, unfortunately. I'm in line for Dortmund, though. Uh, oh, but as right. I said, to, the yellow wall. Yeah, but as I said to my colleague Aaron, he enjoyed sunshine. I'm guaranteeing it'll be snowing when I head over <laughs> to Germany. But um, nonetheless, I'm sure that'll be a fantastic trip. But yes, Nathan, thank you very much for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Much appreciated you giving up your time. To you guys, listen, hit that follow button, leave us a rating and review and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle news, including Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday morning and live coverage through a dedicated live blog on Sunday of Newcastle's trip to Sheffield United. Mm-hmm.